Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Are you ready? Are you cooking? Are you doing all the things? This is coming. I cannot believe that Thanksgiving is upon us. How did this happen? I'm trying to decide. I'm going to roll out of here today and drive down to good old Cannon Falls, Minnesota. Support my local turkey farmer. Or whether I'm going to support my local self and maybe just take a walk around the lake. Beautiful day. Um, Here's what's happening today. You're going to text me, 651-989-9226, because that's the only way I will be satisfied if I learn what you are making for Thanksgiving. Are you boiling your potatoes right now? Are you busting out your special gravy recipe that you got from your grandma? Um, We are going to talk about grandmas for two segments now because this is the most important thing. I am so excited about this. I know I've had a couple books on lately where I'm just saying, like, this is the best book of the year. That Tony Tipton Martin book that I was so excited about that uncovered 200 years of African-American history. Well, this is the other one that I am just beyond excited about. Pasta Grannies by Vicki Benison, The Secrets of Italy's Best Home Cooks. You guys, the amount of joy this book is giving me. I have just been taking pictures of pages and texting them to different chefs in town because this home, handmade, homemade, intuitive pasta art is vanishing as we all just sit around and watch YouTube all day. Uh, Vicki Benison had the genius idea of um, going and, and meeting the women and, and talking to them about what they knew, what they know. Uh, just one of my favorite books of the year. And Vicki Benison joins us from, I believe, the campus of Harvard because she's talking about this book because it's that popular. All the brainy people want to know about it. Vicki, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Oh, I am excited. All right. So for people, uh, just how did this, how did you have this brainwave? Tell me about this. You were in Italy and then you thought, there's a gold mine here that no one is tapping. I didn't think quite like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a home in Italy, and I was researching for a book, um, trying to figure out you know, what was new to say about the Italian scene. And I discovered that, in fact, it's nothing new. It's actually something that's very traditional, and that it's only women over the age of about 65 who are still making pasta by hand on a daily basis. And I thought that's just, well, totally understandable because, you know, we're all busy people and we've all got to ferry kids around and stuff like that. But what a shame. And let's celebrate that and make a record of of these women, that generation, um, that just had to put, um, well, had to make pasta by hand um, to put food on the table. Because these these yeah. techniques and all of the the habits, the ways, the expertise, this was passed down. I don't, do I want to say oral tradition? What's the right way to say it? Is it? It's a hands on. Yeah, it's a kind of hands on mother to daughter or granny to daughter um, kind of thing. 
Um, really what happened was that, you know, the grandmother or the mother would give a little bit of pasta to a five-year-old and they were allowed to play with it. And, you know, six months, a year later, they'd often be cooking for their family. There's one story of Maria who had to make pasta before she went to school. That's a very good use of a child. I have children, and mainly all they do before school is complain about breakfast but uh, <laughs> and forget to put their planner in their backpack. But uh, <laughs> what um, – and so you – tell us about how you actually did this. Well, I have a granny finder. Um, her name is uh, Livia De Giovanni. Uh, she's Italian. And she and I work together um, identifying areas, identifying pasta – um, and it's her special job to track down women um, because it's mostly word of mouth. Um, none of our grannies actually volunteer themselves. They all have to be persuaded. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, and, and I think it's a sort of very brave of them because they get a whole bunch of strangers coming into their kitchens, you know, and opening all the windows and turning on all the lights. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, oh, can we move this table? <laughs> You talk uh, in your introduction to the book about one woman who kind of kickstarted it. And I love the the anecdote you say about how, you know, you're making pasta with her. And she was the only person that didn't get covered with flour. Everyone else did. And that's just that just speaks to such a level of uh, knowing what you're doing. Yes, that was a great occasion with Maria. Um, and she came along with her grandson, who's in his 30s. And um, the two of them had never actually cooked before. Um and, you know, they, they sort of promised each other they would do it again. I don't know if they actually did, but um, that particular session wasn't filmed. It's, it's one of my light bulb moments where I thought, my goodness, you know, photographs aren't enough. Writing about it isn't enough. Um, it has to be a video um, to record these women. Um, so um, YouTube was the obvious place to put that, that footage, <laughs> even though I didn't really know what YouTube was five years ago. Well, I don't know that any of us really know what YouTube is. <laughs> the, yeah, I'm still learning. <laughs> the more we study it, the more it changes. Um, all right. So let's talk about some of this stuff because some of these pasta recipes, I'm particularly thinking of the flour and water. Like it seems so basic, but the simpler it is, the more difficult. No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I've, um, well, it can be. I mean, when you start using, um, you know, umbrella spokes or, or um, stalks of wheat um, to make your pasta, you know, like macaroni-style pasta, then it gets a little bit tricky. You have to have a, um, you know, a few hours' practice to start um, making your, an, an entire tube, if you like. Um, but it'll still taste the same if you've got a few holes in the, you know, in the middle where the seam is. But um, there are lots of very easy recipes with the um, semolina dough and just water um, um, a mixture, and it's you can make things like um, cavatelli, where you you get get little bits of dough and you use your thumb to scrape it along the tabletop, and hey presto, you've got a pasta. So it's very easy. So you think that the because I th find that when I try to make pasta, if if I don't use egg yolks to kind of hold it together, like I'm very likely to start getting stuff that falls apart, and perhaps this just. Uh, speaks to my ham-handedness, but I feel like the simpler ones are more, um, they just require more skill. They require kind of a, a knowing how to gauge the, the stickiness or the lack of stickiness. Am I just totally wrong? Um, no, it rather depends on the flour that you're using with the egg. 
Um, so you need to look at uh, the, the Italians use something called grano tenero flour. They mean soft wheat flour. It's very similar to all-purpose flour. Um, and the trick is to actually kind of stick with the brand that you've chosen and keep practicing. And because flour behaves differently when it's different weather, different temperatures, that kind of thing. Um, so if you haven't quite got it right, just keep practicing, I think. So that's yeah. not an American way of doing things. We want <laughs> we want to pop the top of the can of biscuits and have everything work out okay. But, I mean, I think that's it, right, is that you found the people that didn't just practice for a while. They practiced for 70 years. Uh, yes. And, you know, I hadn't actually made pasta before I started filming them. So and I'm now competent. I mean, I'm not as great as them. I don't have the same muscle memory. But, um, you know, you just got to do it. <laughs> And it's much easier than bread or pastry because there's no fat or anything like that involved. Well, I would say it's easier than pastry. Pastry yeah. is, a, is a bit. Um, and then some of these recipes are ones that I really, you know, have never seen before. Like just maybe because they're they weren't considered fancy enough to write down. But like little, you know, fingernail kind of clip off pasta. Like how do I? What's the right way to say? You kind of pinch it off like little, a little, yeah, a little bunch, a little bunch. Yes. Uh, yeah, so fingernail pasta, that's uh, macaroni de unja um, from Sardinia. Um, and it was made by the very fabulous Giuseppa, who's 97 years old. And uh, she's marvelous. She has this terrific twinkle in her eye. Um, and she uses what looks like the back of a nutmeg grater, and that's a very good substitute to make these little pastas that look like raspberries. Um, it's very sweet, easy to do. And I love the way that I, it is a little bit of a feminist project here, kind of you know looking at these women and saying like these are these women are brilliant. They have done amazing work. Like we, you know, they're kind of, they literally are in the shadows uh, at some points. You know, they kind of yeah. tend to want to be out of the limelight. But it's like these are amazing. These women have amazing skills. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's um, I wanted to celebrate older women. We don't see them often enough in the sort of food media landscape. Um, and I thought there was a kind of space for that for older women, just to celebrate them for who they are. You know, they're not chefs. They're not attempting to do anything chefy. Um, so, you know, let's give them a, a round of applause, if you like. Let's take a little break here and come back. And I want to ask you about uh, other other <laughs> other ways of doing this. I just love this book. So I'm talking to Vicki Benison. Her book is Pasta Grannies. I really, I, I just, I'm so mad about this book. It has so much wisdom. It has so much, uh, just a picture of life that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And it's a nice coffee table book too, because you can kind of visit with them. All right, we're gonna take a little break. We'll come back here in a minute here with Vicki Benison of Pasta Grannies. Dara here. All right. I'm talking to Vicki Benison. She wrote this book, Pasta Grannies. I don't know that I have the words to really do this thing justice. It's got a Vicky spent years going up and down through Italy, finding grand grannies, getting them to talk to her about their wisdom, their recipes, their techniques. She has a YouTube channel. She has this great book, which just has a bunch of stuff that I haven't seen before. All right, Vicky, tell me about you. You have an interesting you have an interesting backstory. How did you tell us about you? Where did this all start? Did it? Did it? <laughs> oh well, I, my CV is very long and varied. I'm now 60 years old, so <laughs> I've had lots of changes of career, um, and I spent a lot of time um, in third world economies um, doing development work. 
Um, so, and it involves projects like with the UNICEF and things like that. But your whole family is very adventurous, right? I, w- I was reading yes. the uh, story about your grandfather's. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so my um, paternal uh, grandpa, which one was he? I had one uh, that um, ran away from the First World War, my paternal grandpa. And um, so he ended up with an uncle who was a governor in a province in Burma who gave him um, an elephant. And he spent the rest of the war looking for teak with this elephant, well out of the way of anybody who might report him. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's just oh, so, it's so, so quirky and adventurous. That's... Yes, yes, uh, yes. We've got adventure in our DNA. And then, so your family has always sort of had one foot out of the country in the world of adventure. Yes. yes, that's true. And then you did as well. Yeah, yes. I spent about 15 years traveling around. I had um, two years in South Africa um, at the end of the, after the end of apartheid. Um, and then I've had six months in Siberia. Um, I've been to Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan. It's a great variety of countries. And then, simultaneously, the great food revolution was launching itself, and we got a generation of rock star chefs and supermodel chefs and all of this crazy stuff, and you you weren't into it. No, no. I mean, my family have always really been into food. You know, we write letters to each other, you know, listing ingredients and and things like that and meals we've eaten. And um, I kind of felt that, you know, a lot of food programming is – about competition and um, conflict and drama, when in fact that's not what real life is about. Um, And that it would be nice to sort of have an approach that was entirely different and more reflective of real life, that it's about putting love on the table. Um, And obviously if you pitch that to a New York publishing house, they're going to say, no, we want a supermodel who can show you how to make brownies out of beetroots or something so um but you went your own way you you didn't uh you decided not to listen to the horrible commercial yeah system and, and, and that's the great advantage of youtube is um you know there are no barriers to anyone putting up their stories um you just have the challenge of of then creating your own audience and so nowadays i have 442,000 um subscribers um, it took five years to get there, but I mean, it's, an, it's a significant um, amount of people. I'm always very humble when I, I actually ended up in, in Wembley Stadium, a football stadium, and realized that my audience could fill it five times over. Ah, <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, wow, that's just so amazing. <laughs> so anyone can just go into a search bar, type in Pasta Granny's YouTube, and they will find your channel right yes, away. they will. And it's kind of nice. It gives me a little hope for humanity that... There's so many people that want to learn from grandmas, not their own. Yes, I mean, everybody seems to love pasta, but they love grandmothers even more. Um, you know, it gives them lovely memories of their own grannies, and, and even if they didn't have a nice granny. Well, I have to <laughs> say, to one. <laughs> you know, that after admiring your book so much, the sixth thing I want to do is just do it in Minnesota and just go around and find Minnesota grannies <laughs> and get their their bread techniques and their... Uh, pasta techniques have have you thought about doing this in other places you thought I, I would love to do that yes um i'm actually going to film a granny this afternoon i'm actually here in los angeles and i've oh. i found someone originally from um sicily i think 
Um, so I'm, I'm always open to the idea of um, other cultures, other, other culinary traditions. Um, it would be great fun. Um, I have also get people writing in saying, you know, I'm from El Salvador and I would really like to film my grandmother's how do I do it? And I tell them, um, you know, I think it's... Uh, the more what do you tell them? Do you tell them just get a phone and start doing it? Or yeah, you tell them something more? <laughs> you know, don't, don't hold back. You know, people often think, oh, maybe it's too difficult. Nope, just go out there and do it. I think that that would we have Thanksgiving coming up, obviously, and I think that everybody should. I mean, yeah. you learn so much when you ask about these details of recipes because uh, people are carrying a lot of stuff around in their head. They maybe don't think of giving it to you until you ask a bunch exactly. of detailed questions. Yes, I think sometimes grannies kind of shoo, shoo people out the kitchen and say, oh, you know, I've got to get on with this, um, where you just have to hang around and say, stop. How many tablespoons was that? <laughs> Yes, I wrote a story once about um, Somali teens who were um, getting their recipes from their own mothers and grandmothers, a lot of whom were not literate, did not have, um, you know, writing tradition. And if they didn't capture these recipes, they're going to vanish in the mists. You know, they wouldn't be there anymore. And I think that's that way. I think a lot of us have, even parents that grew up, you know, cooking with Julia Child, Mm -hmm. they have added their own, you know, little pizzazz as the years have gone on. Yes. And if you don't get that pizzazz, you're not going to get it. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, and I think um, inevitably if you happen to have, you know, Italian heritage or something, that your recipes will be different because the ingredients are different. So um, inevitably recipes get modified, and that's not a bad thing. It's still your family's pizzazz, as you say. And you, in Italy, you find... I mean, that's the thing about Italy is that every 20 miles is like a whole other food scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're adamant that theirs is the only one that matters. <laughs> yes. It, they're adamant they're, and that the village, that the next village over is always like, full of crazy people. Like yes. that's the thing is that you're in the island of sane people. If you go 20 miles in any direction, you've just fallen off the earth. And I love I that. <laughs> That's very true. And I think, with you know, pastas change and the names change um, every 20 miles. And I think that's about um, pasta is actually um, a team activity. It's a group activity uh, where women would get together and have a really good gossip. And I think that's one approach to pasta making is to remember to invite your friends around and help them make supper. <laughs> I went to a lecture the other day at the Swedish Institute from a, a Swedish food historian um, named Richard Telstrom, and he was talking about how in Sweden people would get together once a year and make all the bread for the year, and it would take a week, and they would make those hard breads that they would then suspend from the ceiling. And you just think about what that must have been like, the amount of information you got. You know, you didn't see people a lot, and then all of a sudden you just got a straight week of hanging out. It must have been quite nice. Wonderful. What a, what a great way to spend time. Yeah, exactly. He said that it was a the first you do the harvest, which obviously is an all hands on deck situation. Yeah. And then you got to get the bread ready because, you know, it's very hard to get the oven hot when it's yeah. freezing cold. Anyway, I think that all of these all of these uh, ways of cooking are very much kind of ghosts in the machine of our culture and our thinking and our way of being. And we maybe don't even know they're there until we ask. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> So that's the mission for the week. The mission for the week, it really is. If you can ask your grandma about the exact dishes, and sometimes you get an answer that you 
Um, don't expect, and it's just an, or it's an irritated answer even. It can be very enlightening. I remember when I was in college and my grandma had my dad very late in life. And so she was quite a bit older than, I think she was in her 90s when I was a, a kid. And uh, I remember just trying to get access into her life. We had grown up on in New York City in the Lower East Side. And I was asking her just from a Philip Roth book I was reading for school. I was like, Grandma, you know, did you have did you buy food from push carts? And she was so disgusted. She was like, we would never, our family. Oh, what is, what have people been telling you? We, you know, and it just, it just gave me this insight into, uh, you know, social class in the ghettos of Lower East Side, New York in 1910 that I would never have gotten otherwise. (laughs) Social aspiration. Yes. Yes. Yep. What have people been telling you? We didn't buy food off push carts, but that's, uh, you know, we have so many food traditions and, you know, three generations long. If you don't grab them, they're gone. Yes, it's very true. Um, and I think that's uh, the case in Italy is that it's changing. People still kind of take um, Nonna's cooking for granted. Um, and it's kind of changing without them actually noticing. I think it takes an outsider to see that because it's a, such a local, regional attitude to, to food. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, and you get used to everything being available all the time. You know, yeah. uh, if, uh, yeah. you get used to tangerines being available all year. You yeah. get used to avocados. Everything that's a market try to fu- tries to spread and go everywhere because everybody has their you know twenty percent increase um, targets that they've got every year, and so that means that tangerines have to increase and everything has to increase. But then you it ends up crowding out other stuff. Yes, I think that's another um, thing about Italian cooking is its seasonality. Um, and the majority of our grandmothers still have vegetable gardens. Um, so they're forced into being seasonal with their vegetables and their pulses and things like that. They go with the pasta. And that's why they're not so anxious as the rest of us. Okay. <laughs> oh, Vicki Benison, you have done a service to culture and cuisine with your pasta granny's work. I am maybe try to steal it at some point from you and find a granny around me. Um, I just I love this book. It is so terrific. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you. All right. This has been Vicki Benison. The book, the YouTube channel, the whole phenomena is Pasta Grannies. It is a joy. All right. If you Have you ever asked your granny something about food and then they gave you a surprising answer? Text me, 651-989-9226. We're going to have plenty of time for an Ask Me Anything today. We are going to do recipes when I get back. Do ahead Thanksgiving so that you're you have a chill time later this week. Um, and, and also tell me about your granny, 651-989-9226. Or actually, you can call in too, 651-989-9226. All right, what are you cooking? Are you getting your potatoes boiled? Because you can do that in advance. You don't have to do that Thursday morning. You don't have to get up at 3 a.m. to boil your potatoes on Thanksgiving because I right now at WCCORadio.com have my top five do ahead Thanksgiving recipes. It is a blowing up, blowing up the internet. So the first thing you need to know about the make ahead mashed potatoes is that you need so much fat. That is what makes them. It makes the whole thing function. You need butter. I got the pioneer woman's recipe up there. Love the way she does this. She uses cream, cream cheese, and butter. How? I mean, that's so many things. And potatoes. And then you kind of mash everything, mash, 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 press it into a pan. And you heat it up that day in a casserole. 
You don't want to be messing around with peeling potatoes on Thanksgiving. You don't have that kind of time. You're a happening party person. I also have a have a do ahead green bean casserole. All right, so this is a true fact. I will swear upon some Bibles for you that frozen green beans are better than canned, better than fresh. I know I'm a fresh vegetable person. For the casserole, the classic. Frozen works a lot better, I gotta say. You can do everything but put the little crispy onions on. Yeah, cranberry sauce, that's an easy one to make in advance. All I need is a bag of cranberries, a cup of sugar, and then a juice of your choice. You can use apple, you can use orange, pomegranate, you do you. Um, I put some candy ginger in there. Chop, chop, chop. Very nice. You can do your stuffing. You can't do it tons in advance. I don't think you could do it today too easily, but you could definitely do it on Wednesday. Get that in the get that all in a pan, ready to bake. And then this is something you can do today. And maybe you should. How about doing a mold punch for Thanksgiving? How about you get some of that fancy holiday tea, boil it, cook it up with some sugar. Then you have a holiday tea syrup. And then on Thanksgiving, get out your get out your punch bowl, your ginormous punch bowl. You're putting a tea syrup, maybe some vodka, some sparkling lime, juice some lemons, dump that in there. Now everybody shows up. Look at you. You're Martha Stewart. You're the fanciest person in the world. That's a good Thanksgiving. So all these recipes, they're up at WCCORadio.com. We're going to come back. You want to talk to me about things you have learned from your grandma, things you want to learn? Dara here. All right. We're talking Thanksgiving. We've been talking about grannies, the wisdom of grannies. You got to get your wisdom from your grannies because they're amazing. All right, Jonathan, why don't you read me some of these texts? I can't see them because of a screen thing, but you can. So I got a couple of texts here. Uh, First one talking about there is a question for you. What do you think of oven bags for turkeys? Oh, I think they're... An unnecessary bunch of extra stuff. I think that baking a turkey, roasting a turkey, it is not that hard. I think people get a little worked up about it. Um, I don't think you you can just make a little tinfoil tent if you feel anxious about it. Save yourself some money. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I just feel like save your money. You can do this without it. You'll be okay. Okay, and uh, here's one referring to the uh, the grandmother uh, cooking that you've been talking about. Unfortunately for us kids, my grandma was forward thinking, and her mantra was "sugar is poison." So the only treat that they got at her house was whole wheat peanut butter raisin cookies. And so uh, she says, "Now I know." Sixty extra pounds later, she was probably right. <laughs> Your granny was a was a not only was she on trend, not only was she a visionary, she could probably start a uh, cookie company today that would slay in the marketplace. So, yeah, sugar, it's bad for you. Well, a little bit of sugar ain't no thing. A lot of sugar is pretty much the root of all of our national obesity ills today. You're not alone. It's delicious. That's all the text we have now. We do have a couple of callers on the line. Bring, uh, bring it on. Let's right. hear. We got Diane from Edina uh, on the line. Diane, welcome to the Hi. show. Hi. I've got a question. I have a Jello recipe that I cannot find anymore, and it's so old that the measurements are gone. But it's raspberry Jello, 
Seven Up cinnamon candies, um, raspberries, and raspberry jello. Do you know it at all? What do you mean by candy? Those little cinnamon candies. I don't know this at all. I know nothing about it, but I can uh, I can look into it. I have the wonderful Lise Fitback Dean from the Star Tribune recently gave my daughter a vintage Jello cookbook. So I'll go home and look at that. Um, that sounds. I have to say, uh, it doesn't sound delicious. How many cinnamon candies? Like just for a garnish or a bunch of them? No, you melt them so you get the oh. cinnamon flavor, and so you you add Seven Up instead of water to the jello and you cook the applesauce and then you add the jello and then you put seven up or you've already done that then you put the cinnamon candies to melt them and then you put that in your mold well i like the sound of it anybody knows anything find me on twitter i'm at dear dara find me on facebook dara.grumdahl and diane if i know anything i'm gonna tell the whole world on the radio here all right we also have thank you thank you you bet thank you for helping i'll look for it on the Okay. Bob, I hear we've got Bob on the road. All right, three things. Now, people need to use honey instead of sugar. That's a good idea. My grandma did it, man, and my grandma was never wrong. Another one. What's wrong with putting stuffing back in the bird? Number three, throw the microwave out the window. (laughs) You all have a wonderful evening. Thank you, thank you. Well, I got to say, you're, the whole throw the microwave out the window, that's an idea that's kind of growing in, tra- in uh, popularity. I know people that are feeling like they don't want those things in their houses. Um, one of the more visionary food people I know just redid a kitchen, and she doesn't have a microwave anymore. So that might be the, that might be the future. Um, there's nothing wrong with putting a, the stuffing in the turkey. The problem is that it takes such a long time because the heat starts on the outside. That's how an oven works. Not a microwave. And then it goes in so first it cooks the outer inch and then the next inner, you know, it just keeps, that's how heat works, radiates in from an oven. And then the stuffing is in the middle. So sometimes people feel like, well, it's not getting cooked when it's in the middle there. But I, I have no, I have no dog in this fight, in this turkey fight. I am not, uh, I am not against it. I like the, I will say the only thing I do like now I suddenly realize I do have a dog in the fight and which is that. The crispy bit at the top of the stuffing tray when the stuffing is just baked, that's delicious. So you don't get that when it's inside the turkey. All right, I got a question about deep fried turkey. What do I think of whole the deep fried turkey situation? I think it's fine. I think it's a bit dangerous. I think that the difficulty of over of cooking a turkey is kind of overstated. But if you're a gear guy and you want to stand in the backyard and you want to have a big flaming thing of oil and you keep the pets and the children away from it and have a beer, that's a good way to spend Thanksgiving. I support that. So, I don't know. Fried turkey, I think that turkey is not that hard to do. But you want to do it? Comes out delicious. It's a fun thing to do with your time. I got a, I got a kind of a family drama question. Mexican Thanksgiving some of the people in the family are advocating that everybody should make like, things along that theme. Put chipotle peppers on the outside of the turkey. And other people are angry and they don't want to do it. Well, uh, Dara, family therapist here. I'll sit down with you. You know, I kind of think that if you're fighting about the theme of the Thanksgiving, you're probably not fighting about the theme of the Thanksgiving. You're probably fighting about other things, about like who mom loved more or why somebody always gets their way and somebody else doesn't. So I am not going to weigh in (laughs) 
as any good family therapist does it, I'm not weighing in on the virtues of uh, putting putting some new peppers on the outside of the turkey. That's uh, uh, why don't you sit with your feelings and figure out why you're so angry at each other in your family? That's I don't know. I know that's a kind of annoying answer, but what I can't do anything about it. Not from here. Not at less than 90 bucks an hour when I come to your house and sit around. That'll be fun for everybody. I got a question about wine. What wine should we serve at Thanksgiving this year? All right. I got good answers for this one. It's the Beaujolais Nouveau. So the new wine, the wine that the first French wine that got picked six weeks ago, just right six weeks ago, not that long ago. Uh, you you may have uh, sour cream in your fridge. It's that old. Uh, so just six weeks ago, they've rapidly get it through the process. It's very juicy. I love the Beaujolais Nouveau because Thanksgiving is a harvest. It's all about the harvest. And this is harvest wine. It's fresh. It's lovely. Uh, you can find the good Beaujolais Nouveau, the new stuff. Um, most stores, Henry and Son is sort of a favorite of mine right now. It's uh, right by where the Minneapolis Farmer's Market is, the main one on Lindale. Uh, Solo Vino in St. Paul, they always have great, great everything. So Beaujolais Nouveau is nice. If that's too juicy for you, then I think you could do a Riesling. Riesling is always a lovely Thanksgiving pear. It goes great with turkey. So something white, something a little gingery like that. I like a Washington State Riesling for budget reasons when you're you know, laying in a case. Um, you could do a Zinfandel Red because it's very inky, thick, you know, like a nice intensity. Or you could do a Pinot Noir. I like a, a kind of an Oregon Pinot Noir, something a little, a little funky. That can run you some money, though, so think about what you want to spend. Um, Beaujolais Nouveau, though, I think that's just the, the no-brainer. And, I don't, you know, you don't really want to be still drinking in at Christmas. You kind of want to celebrate it and then move on with your life. And no better time than Thanksgiving. It's just been out for a few days. All right, so what is happening in our lives next week? Get it? We're down in the Cambria Galleries. We are broadcasting live. We'll be talking to the lovely ladies who make mittens and jewelry. We'll be looking at Cambria countertop cutting boards. Will I remember to buy one this time? Maybe they have a little cheese board. It's fun. So there will be free coffee, free hot cider, cookies, all those kind of good things. You should come. Um, Till then, I hope you have the happiest Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to it myself. I may drive down to Cannon Falls to the Ferndale Turkey Fest. Go get myself a fresh turkey. So till then, tell your best friends to come over because you need help getting rid of the turkeys in your life. And I hope you have the greatest pies ever. And I will meet you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.